Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 24. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 24 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a Senior Content Solutions Architect and a Certified Contentful Professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about search, contentful, and content modeling with my guest, Ken So, a product owner for Site Search at Rogers Wireless, one of Canada's largest telco. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Marcelo. Thanks for having me. I've learned about you in the Slack channel for Contentful. Uh, I was asking for people to interview and you reached out and I appreciate you doing that. So why don't you start by giving us a background about yourself? You said you're a product owner or me like a product manager, right? For Site Search at Rogers. So tell us a little bit more about Rogers, what you do there as a product owner for Site Search and where you worked previously. So we look at Site Search as a digital product. So this is something that we have on our website and we enable our customers, our users to find what they're looking for on our site. So on rogers.com or on fido.ca, which is two of our major wireless companies. I don't know if you know this, if you're into baseball, Rogers is also the owner of the Toronto baseball team, the Blue Jays, and also part owners of the Raptors, uh, the, the NBA team. Very cool to know. So before, I've been at Rogers for a little bit more than a year now. Prior to that, I was at a startup company, an e-commerce SaaS company. The first product we developed there was very search-focused. So search, but for e-commerce customers. So I was there for six years. My role there was primarily helping clients getting onboarded onto that platform. And how are you involved with Contentful? I really come into contact with Contentful more recently after I started at Rogers, but Previously, you know, when I was at the e-commerce SaaS company, we did work with a lot of headless CMS because a lot of customers actually use a headless stack to deliver their site experience. So search is just one piece, but then you also need a headless CMS to drive the content. Here at Rogers, we have Contentful as the headless CMS for content. So we need to, from a site search perspective, we need to consume the content, right, that's being created on Contentful. But similarly, when we deliver that back to the site experience, Contentful is kind of the overarching content CMS that's driving a lot of the content. So this the search experience also needs to go well hand in hand with whatever content that Contentful is driving. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into more of the details of the sources for your indexing engine and, and how you integrate with all that. But why don't we start out in, at the beginning, which is let's define search. Yeah, so search and I should also make it clear that, you know, today we're talking about a site search. So it's really you going on to the website and then putting something into the website search box. We're not talking about SEO, right? That's a totally different topic right. 
all those there's a lot of overlap between the two yeah definitely the analogy i like to use is that search is like a dating app right like in a dating app you're matching people's interests with other profiles with other people's background for site search what we're doing is we're enabling a mechanism to match your intent right you're coming here to the site to search on something with a very specific intent we're matching that intent with the content or the data we have on the website. So that's really what site surge is it's about. And it's interesting you use intent because when we get into IoT later, right? IoT a lot of it is driven by intent as well, correct? That's right. Yeah, so that's a lot of voice searches what they do under the hood is really trying to detect the intent based on obviously they have to do a lot of natural language processing to pick out the intent. But, you know, fundamentally, it's very similar to search. It's matching your intent with the data and the content that they have and then returning that back to the user. Right. So let's start talking about maintaining good search quality. How can a company do that? That's a great question. We manage primarily two things. So we manage what we call recall, R-E-C-A-L-L, and relevancy. A lot of people just thought that site search or SEO is a matter that is only about relevancy, but they're really two concepts in play. So recall is about finding what matched. Recall is finding what gets matched. So if you search for the word iPhone and we have, let's say, the latest models, iPhone 11, iPhone 11 Pro, iPhone 11 Pro Max. So those phones are the, the ones that the entries that got matched and should be returned to the customers, to the searcher. And relevancy is about how they rank in the result set. So when you search for, let's say, gold iPhone, right, the gold, the color gold, then the gold color variant should be ranked above the other color variants that are returned. So in terms of maintaining good search quality, fundamentally, it's really operating in these two areas. And there's some mechanisms that we control uh, to make recall good and precise and also relevancy good to what you would be expecting. Now, I would imagine that relevancy is going to be greatly affected by intent. So going with the example of gold iPhone, if I search, I want to buy gold iPhone versus I need help setting up gold iPhone, we're going to get very different or we should be getting very different results. So what are some attributes that affect relevancy? Yeah, that's exactly it. So what we need to control going back to the, the recon relevancy aspect is first, we should define which attributes should be searchable. Right. So we don't want every attribute to the searchable. Certain attributes could bring back more noise. For instance, accessories, right? Normally an accessory product will have a lot of keywords within its, let's say, description attribute, right? So then that's probably not really a good attribute for you to index because anytime you search for iPhone, that accessory will always come back at the top. And depending on how the search engine is constructed, because of the occurrences of these keywords, it could actually give it a very high rank. So first, it's really about being strategic on what you consider searchable. Um, and that's something that, you know, will tie into how we model the content in Contentful that we can talk about later. And the other aspect in terms of controlling the relevancy of the search results return is 
certain keywords may have different meanings. So how to may mean differently than, you know, I want to get an iPhone. So there's certain ways you can curate, I would say curate rules to give different results to the user. But ideally, we actually want to be smarter. And I think in your previous episode with the chatbot topic, you talked about machine learning and detecting intent. So that's Another dimension when it comes to site search as well that, you know, we can learn a lot about the, the different intents by studying what the users actually searched on and what articles or what result they ended up clicking on and viewing. Right. And that can suggest kind of close the feedback loop and tell us, okay, with certain keywords, the intent is associated with, let's say, shop versus other some other keywords may be more associated with, with support. For instance. Right. And I guess it could get more complicated if you start taking intonation into account, right? Like, especially with search bots that are IoT based, that are voice based. For example, if I ask something sarcastically, you can really start custom tailoring all those, I would imagine. That's right. So I think the good thing with, with site search is because you're not technically detecting the speech directly. Usually, if there's a speech search box enabled on the website, it just captures what you said and then translating that into text and then that gets feed into the site search search engine. But still, there's certain keywords, like certain things you say, like the utterance, I think you mentioned during the, the chatbot episode as well. You might not want to put a lot of weight on those words. And the search engine, you know, should be intelligent enough to ignore any words that are not really useful, right? And just really focus on the, you know, the keywords and the matches that are important. Yeah, definitely. So what makes a good search experience from an end user's perspective? So from an end user perspective, first of all, I need to be able to find the search box. A lot of sites actually make this very basic mistake for not really making the search box predominant or discoverable on their site. If you look at Amazon, like most big platform sites, Facebook, YouTube, the search box is where you expect it to be at the top, very predominant. You don't have to look around on the page to find it. So it's, it should be very discoverable. It should be fast. Speed is everything. And that goes hand in hand with shortening the, the journey to find what you're looking for. So one of the approach to help shortening the search journey is by providing suggestions as you type. So we call that type ahead or search as you type, right? So I'm sure you've seen this on sites as you type, uh, you get suggestions in the dropdown. You could also use that to suggest results as well. So some sites do that and start suggesting results directly underneath the search box. So anywhere you are on the site, as long as you, you know, you go to a search box, you start typing, you can find results right there and click on the result right there. So speed is very important. Presenting the results in the right format, I think it's crucial as well. So if a result needs to be presented in a visual way with thumbnails. Let's say, you know, it's a video result. So you can, you probably want to show a preview thumbnail associated with that result. If it's a product you're selling, you should probably show the pricing information with that result. And then I think now it's becoming more and more important to search experience, giving personalized relevancy to your user. So it's not just 
the generic relevancy that everyone should see. But Marcelo, if you, I'm not suggesting, but I'm just saying that, like, as presumably, if you are an iPhone user, then if, when you search for smartphones, I should probably prioritize the results that are associated with the iOS versus if I am going to a site, I search for a smartphones, same keyword. I because I'm an Android user, maybe I'm I'm into Samsung, then I should you know I should get the Samsung results first. So there's that as well. Yeah. First of all, you presumed correctly. I am an iPhone user for many, many years. And my son and I always argue over iPhone versus Android. So it's a war thing because he's Android. So it's okay. But I agree with you. Personalization is key, right? Amazon is the king of that, right? I mean, I buy a lot of stuff at Amazon. And yes, I know they use it to oversell me stuff. But at the end of the day, I like it because it's very relevant to what I like, what I enjoy, all my hobbies. Yeah, exactly. And if you think about like, for instance, like all this, the video streaming, like Netflix does that, right? By suggesting results that based on what you have watched previously, apparels, I think it's, you know, there's a big use case there too, right? You're, you know, you might be preferring certain materials. If we know you buy of a certain sizes, then, you know, that those sizes should also be prioritized to you. So it's, it's about understanding your user better and giving them, you know, what they are looking for at a more personal level. And talking about search experience, the other thing to also consider is really giving the control back to the searcher. There's a difference between browsers and searchers. So people who browse versus both search. Sometimes you can enter into one journey and switch over to the other. That's completely fine. But when you decide to search, when users decide to search, usually they have something very specific in mind, going back to the intent that we talked about, right? That means they're seeking really the control to find what they're looking for instead of, you know, in a browse journey, the user is really looking for a guided experience. So we want to give all those controls back to this searcher. So what I mean by that is giving them the filtering capability giving them pagination so then they can discover the results by paging. They can sort it in different orders, right? Sort it, sort the price low to high, high to low, sort by popularity. We talked about, you know, color variants. And so, you know, being able to preview different variants of the same product, for instance. So those are all very important controls that we want to give back to the searcher. In a guided browse experience, we may prescribe certain ways of discovering the content of the product on the site. When it comes to search, we really want to give all those controls back to a searcher. But it does beg the question, though, and this goes into my next question, which is what kind of insights can search provide a company about their customers? But it does beg the question also of privacy, right? Because how do you strike that balance between getting insights from all the search customers are doing every single day and not getting too much information where you're invading their privacy? And how is that exposed to the customer telling them, hey, this is what we're doing with your information? Yeah, and I think that's a very on topic. It's not really specific to search, but applies, I think, across, you know, basically anything that we want to do with technology to achieve better personalization. You kind of run into that. I think it's a, it's a fine balance, but I think it's really educating the, the users what sort of data that you collecting like if you have cookie set on the site to record those interactions you have on the site but you can also do it at a more anonymous level personalization you know has its value but it doesn't have to be 
all the way specific to individuals, right? We can also personalize to a certain segment so that, you know, the, the result is not so specific to a particular user, but to maybe a geography, right? Like, let's say, you know, we mentioned the temperature difference right now between my location and your location. If I go to an apparel site looking for, let's say, shirts, because of my geolocation, I might be prompted to see more long sleeve shirts first versus Marcelo in your location, you might continue to see short sleeve shirts first. It's less intrusive that way. It's more subtle. But at the same time, it's still providing that added relevancy on top of just giving you, you know, the, the generic search results. But in general, and this is for the entire podcast on its own, but the more personalization you want the more you're going to give up your privacy. I mean, that's how it's going to work. I love what Amazon does for me, but I know that they know way too much about me. Exactly. Yeah. You, you're kind of trading off the convenience and the quality of what you get from that platform for giving up some of the information about yourself. And, you know, there's mechanisms that you can block these trackings. You can, you know, prevent data being collected about you altogether. Like you can use incognito, for instance, and that's totally fine, right? And we also, you know, as site search operator, we have to ensure when it's so anonymous, there's no, you know, data and, and no learning about a particular user at all coming to the site, we still deliver a good user experience. And again, like going back to what we talked about, giving the control back to the searchers. And I think that's a very crucial element to delivering a good search experience with or without personalization. So from a company's perspective, how can they use search to help with conversions? and call deflections and, and define those as well for those that are not aware of those terms. Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with conversions because that, that's more of my background before Rogers, helping e-commerce customers getting onto the search platform that we were building. The general metrics in the e-commerce world is that conversion tends to be two times or three times better than the site overall average when it's initiated from the search journey. And I think it's very logical in a sense, because if you think about it, if, if a customer comes to the site and they're searching for a product, the intent is much stronger, right? They're not really just browsing around and evaluating. They have something in mind that they're looking for. And I think for that reason, you know, the, the conversion really shows. So it's important to not have a bad search experience on an e-commerce site. And more importantly, you know, if you can really invest into a good search experience for your site. Some sites like, I don't know, like maybe for the smaller shops, online shops, they might not think this is a major factor to the site. Maybe they don't really have a large product assortment in their catalog. So they might see that it's not as needed. But you know what, like people do search and we know that based on the, the metrics we see. So why uh, not invest into it and make sure that it's not a barrier at a minimum, right? So that, you know, people can find what they're looking for and they can convert on that. You can also learn a lot by looking at what's not converting as well, right? Like if people search on something on a topic or on a product a lot, but not really converting well, then that also shows that you might have a product gap you know, you might, that might inform your business decision as well, right? Like, you know, you can tell whether it's something you want to expand your product assortment to, to capitalize, or maybe it's something else, maybe it's shipping, maybe, you know, people add to cart a lot on, you know, after searching on that item, but they're not really checking out on those items. So it, it may be a shipping problem, maybe with the shipping cost. So there's a lot of learnings throughout that, that if you look at the end to end journey of a searcher on an e-commerce site. 
And then call deflection is really more applicable to a business that is providing support. So you have a call center, right, to support your customers. So we do here at Rogers, we do provide support to our customers, but we also provide a lot of self-serve support online. In essence, it's a very good way to deflect the unnecessary calls from our call center because at the end of the day, that adds to, you know, the calls, right? There's human labor involved if we have to answer a lot of calls. And if you think about the current pandemic situation, more and more people are driven towards self-serve out of necessity because they, they can't really take something into the store to get it fixed or, you know, the troubleshooting to happen. So more and more people are uh, naturally driven to online and find things to articles and materials or documentation to troubleshoot the issues that they, they might be facing. So it's also a very important aspect when it comes to comes to search. Wait, and I would argue that moving forward, even when they come out with a vaccine, that I think people after, what, six months of we're all doing this, going on seven months or something to that effect, I think this is the new way of doing things. And I think people are going to be a lot more self-serve post the pandemic than they were pre the pandemic which makes search very, very important. And also when you mentioned call deflections, that hits the bottom line directly, right? Because if they're not deflected, they're going to a human, which is much more costly than a search engine providing an answer, correct? So call deflection is something that really people should be tracking and seeing how they can improve their indexing and the serving up of relevant information to deflect all those calls, correct? Yep, you, uh, that's absolutely correct. It adds to the human labor costs whenever someone actually calls in or actually goes into a store, even when we are safe to reopen up our stores to talk to human because, you know, you have to invest the time into it. Whereas if we already have content and articles to help people to self-serve, we just have to make them searchable and discoverable on the site. Right, definitely. So let's talk a little about the different kinds of searches. We've been talking a lot about just regular website search, but there's also search that people do on a day-to-day basis using Alexa or Google Assistant or Siri. We also have e-commerce search like in Amazon, which is very, very different than if I go to google.com and search for something. Uh, Can you explain how search really should work in those arenas? Yeah. So when it comes to Alexa, Siri, Google Home, like Google Assistant, if you speak to these devices and ask the question, what it does, it's really, you know, searching against the data that they have. I'll use Google Assistant as the example because I, I have lots of these devices at home for myself, actually. What they do is it's really trying to detect the intent that we talked about and perform an action. If there's no action that they can really associate with, what they typically would do is they would actually go and search against the data that they have, right? In the case of Google, I think most of the time they would actually search Google and give you and read out like the the result to you. So that this is sort of, again, tying back to the SEO aspect. This is where things I think overlaps a little bit because, you know, when it comes to smart homes, assistants like that, you really want to like the underlying play here is really having good SEO and searchable content, right? And like we're going to talk about, you know, content model a little bit later, but structured content really helps making them discoverable, searchable. You can control what gets indexed versus not for having structured content. So 
it's important for site search, but it's also very important for, for SEO, which enables these smart devices to be able to give you relevant results as well. And it also helps not only in what's indexed, but also what your results are, right? Because you can index certain pieces of information that you don't want to show on, on the results. You just use it just to be able to gather results. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So explain the relationship between search and content before we jump into content modeling. Yeah. So we talked about controlling, managing recall and relevancy. So what the search engine really indexes on is really data. So we're giving a set of data for these search engines to index. What they're indexing on is really the values within the data. I think to a certain extent, SEO, organic search, search engine as well, what they're trying to do is make sense of that data. But when you have structured content and structured data, then you can really control what the search engine needs to index on. So one concept we talked about earlier today is controlling what fields should be searchable. That's another aspect that you can build into your content model. You can say, you can create a list of attributes. You can model it into contentful, like into a head of CMS that certain fields, you know, by default will be indexed by the search engine. So you're kind of creating that contract between what you want to be indexed between, you know, the content, which is, you know, residing in your content source, in your contentful content source, and then in building that contract between your content source, which is can be contentful and your search engine. And it could also be multiple other sources, right? So let's talk a little about having multiple sources, not just contentful as a source. But, you know, sometimes you will index information from, let's say, Contentful. It could be from Salesforce. It could be from a text repository, whatever. How important is being able to create relationships between all these sources so the information displayed back is relevant? To the end user, it's just one result. But on the back end, it's made up of multiple sources. So the different implementation approaches to solving that. So you can pre-join all all those data sources together through what we call an ETL process. So ETL stands for extract, transform, and load. So very typical scenario is that you have, for instance, like product data that you can shop on or uh, some articles, right, which is content, and you kind of combine them together into the same index to your point. So you use the ETL implementations to kind of join them together most preferably, you, you also can use that layer to standardize the data model that gets indexed by the search engine as well. That's one approach. Another approach is federated search, right? So you basically just index each source individually. You can separate them into different indexes, and they can have all different data models as well. When you search, you're searching against multiple data sources, and then you decide how to render them in a cohesive way on the experience. So it depends really on which experience you're going for. It makes sense in different use cases. So in, I think in the case of like our company, for example, at Rogers, we do have mixed content, right? We do have devices, we have plans and we have support articles that we, we do need to serve up and what we decided the best experience for our customers is to have them all standardized into one index and have it, you know, in a consolidated data structure. So we use an ETL implementation to handle that. Some other use cases, you know, it might make better sense for them to have different indexes and then just call them separately and then kind of combine them together on the rendering end. 
So why don't we talk a little bit about taxonomy, define it, and then how does that help in bringing all these sources together? Yeah, I would say taxonomy is always required, not just for search, but really to enable a very structured experience for your site, like for browse as well as for search. So taxonomy is really about classifying your content or classifying your data. So typically what it translates to is is your category structure. So if you go to Amazon.com, you search on an item, you see at the top, there's a filter for the different departments they have. You, you have the control to drill down to, let's say, smartphone and then iOS smartphones. So you can really do that step down through that category filter. And that comes from their taxonomy data. And Contemporal is great in giving us the ability to define taxonomy for content as well. So tagging is one approach. You can also define a category tree, right? So often category has subcategories, like in the case for Amazon. And the two approaches I can think of that Contentful can model this into tag content with. So you can either do a top-down approach where you define the taxonomy and then have the individual article entries as references to a certain category. So you're Structure would be you have a category entry and then within that category entry, you have a reference field that you can attach article entries into that reference field. The other way is a bottom-up approach. So you, you still have a taxonomy entry, but that taxonomy entry can now be referenced by individual articles. So the article can also belong to multiple categories as well if you do a bottom-up approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... There's this balance that when we're creating content models in Contentful that we have to strike between it being author friendly so they don't go in too deep into references, right? If you create a content type that references another one, that references another one from a content author perspective, it becomes kind of a nightmare to maintain. And then you also have to strike that balance from the development side, like the content model should be developer friendly, right? So it's not hard to get to the data that you need to and you're not making so many calls and so on and so forth. But now because of search, we have to strike that third balance with search friendly, right? When you're creating the content model, do you have any tips on finding that balance between all those three? So first, search friendly, we already talked about having structured data and the benefit of having structured data. So contentful by definition, because it's, it's headless and you kind of have to define the content model in a very structured manner. Whatever content and data you can index out of Contentful, that by default is structured. So that's good. And so we can basically say, let's say you have an entry with the title field, with a description field, and then with like a bunch of body content, right? Let's say if, if it's a rich content, more or less unstructured field. That entry, when we feed that into a search engine, we can tell the search engine to only index on the title and the description and maybe you know rank the title higher, the description lower because the description is adding some amount of noise, but totally ignore the third field. So we have that really granular control when we indexing data that's coming from Contentful because of the structure nature. When it comes to offer friendliness, I think the flexibility we get from Contentful allow us to build, for instance, certain workflow into the content creation process. So let's say, you know, if we have a searchable flag on an article, we can make that required, right? We can make that a conscious choice for our author when they're creating a content to indicate whether that should be searchable or not. So that cannot be published unless it's being specified. You can also build 
extensions or application on top of Contentful. And again, Contentful, it's great in this support of building UI extensions and applications. You can set certain fields to have, for instance, a default value. So if you, you know, you, you have certain tags that you always want to add on to help search, you can do that. You can build an extension very easily and have those default values set into the article. So I think offer framework list could be achieved and enabled by Contentful through, you know, rules, validation rules, which kind of creating that publishing workflow and also the extensions. And lastly, developer friendliness, because Contentful is API first. So integrating with it is, is super easy. You can, anything you can touch, you can use on the web application. You can do, you can interact with the platform using API. So naturally you can connect with any search engines. If you want to consume data and content from Contentful, super easy. You just call the content delivery API. You know, if you really want to transform the structure as well, you might even go with the GraphQL, right? And, and kind of change the structure into what's more consumable by the, the search engine. Yeah, and I've been using GraphQL quite a bit lately, and I love it. It's so easy to get to the data that you want without overfetching. You keep mentioning indexing engine, right? But really, because we have both the CPA and the CDA, we could go directly to Contentful and do a query and get results back. So what's the argument for using an indexing engine? And then can you explain how they work? Yeah, so, and that's a great question. I think uh, it was actually a question on the Slack channel as well. So yes, you can totally do that. Contentful does allow certain querying capabilities. So you can do lookup and basic search with that. What I found isn't, you know, super robust with, with Contentful's built-in search is its ability to, let's say, do partial matching or wildcard matching, right? So with a search engine, those are the things that you can really control. We also talked about relevancy. There's really no control of how the results are being ranked, right? So it's, it, I think it's really based on best matches. It's, it's not really taking into any consideration of, okay, what's more relevant to you, to your geolocation, what's best selling. You're not really getting the granular control through Contemporary's native search capability. So I would say if you, you know, if you don't really have a big site, not a lot of content and, you know, site search isn't really a very important use case to your your website, you can probably get away with just using the native search capability offered by Contentful. But as you have more volume of data or content, then you definitely it's definitely worth investing into a proper search engine to enable that search experience for your users. So having said that, what are some examples of search engines that people can look into today to start playing with? Okay, so Elasticsearch and, and Solar, they're both Lucene-based and they're open source. Elasticsearch kind of made the Lucene raw search engine distributed so you can, you can scale and it also has a REST API to it so you can interact with that through web services. Algolia is a SaaS-based product. So the main interaction with that is it's also through an endpoint and web service. So the main difference between Elasticsearch and Algolia, so like a, a you know, a Lucene-based search engine like Elastic or Solar and something like Algolia, which is a SaaS-based product, is that Algolia has the tools built in for you to control things like synonyms, you know, how to do ranking strategies. So you have a dashboard and a UI and the tools to do that. So as search operators, I don't really need 
to code or to do it programmatically. I can do it through the UI. But when it comes to Elasticsearch or Solar, it's more raw engine. So you, you kind of have to either build the tools yourself. You can interact with it programmatically. So it's very flexible. But if you want any tools around that, either you build it or, you know, find another product to attach to it in order to manage that. So there's some differences in terms of, you know, the, the user segment that they, you know, they target to. I think there's also some differences in terms of how search results are being evaluated. So most Lucene-based engines would have what we call a term frequency and inverse document frequency strategy at the base. So this, this is basically measuring how many times, you know, the search term actually occur within the document and also measuring how often those terms appear across the index. And it calculates a score based on these criteria and, and kind of sums it up into one single score. But there's also the other approach, which to my understanding, Algolia is taking. So they do a tie-breaking approach, which means, okay, first consider this criteria, then consider this other criteria. So first, maybe, you know, look at if there's any spelling mistake in the search term. And then the second condition is looking at if there's any exact match uh, in the search term versus any attribute and things like that. So it's more what we call a tie-breaking mechanism. So each has its strength and I think and weaknesses as well, depending on, you know, the, the types of content that you want to index in those search engines. Regarding Algolia, we actually had Matthew Foyle. He's a solutions engineer at Algolia, did a podcast episode. He was on my second episode, but we didn't talk about Algolia. We mainly talked about APIs and stuff, but definitely, yeah, he's a great guy to check out. He knows a lot about Algolia. Awesome. Well, and the nice thing is they all have trials that you can test out and see what best works for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we're pretty close to the end here. I wanted to end it with, and you covered a couple of these already, but I wanted to end it with sort of a summary of what are the best ways to get content into a search engine? So what are the different types of ways that we can get content inside of it? Yeah. So rec crawler is generally bad, but it's, um, it's a very fallback solution when you know we didn't really have headless and structured content it's more for people to have a site but then they don't know how to index them and they just so they set up a crawler and just index all pages and all content they have on the site it's bad because you cannot really control what you're indexing right so you can index a lot of noise and you don't really have any control on what to exclude right to our earlier point the other way is what we touched on earlier. It's through an ETL process in between. So you have a lot of flexibility of joining in different data, generating an ingestion feed to for the search engine to be indexed. And then there's the third way, which is what we touched on earlier between Contentful and Algolia. You can set up a webhook. I think under the hood, what it really is, is it's just triggering a web request whenever something is published or you can, you can set it up however, you know, triggering on any events you want on Contempo, you can even trigger it on, on a safe, right? But when that event happens, that entry gets pushed through the webhook and into the consuming search engines API. So in the case for Contempo and Algolia, that webhook pushes that entry to the Algolia API for indexing. So that makes it very simple and straightforward. But the trade-off is you can't really control the 
reference entry, like you can, you cannot really resolve any reference entries because it's really doing it content type by content type. So it won't really do it automatically for you if you use the webhook. But if you use the ETL method, you have full control and you can construct the data model that you want however you want it and get that in there. Very cool. Well, Ken, unfortunately, we're completely out of time. I really want to thank you for sharing your expertise. You definitely have a lot of expertise in search. It's very obvious. And I know you could have shared a lot more and maybe we'll bring you back for a part two. That's awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give an email or a Twitter, whatever you like? I think best way is to go to my LinkedIn. So it's just LinkedIn and just search for me, Kent. So and you should be able to find me. Perfect. And we'll post it on the show notes. So thanks again, Kent. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Oh, 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 o